Welcome to True Vine Church Community's Sermon of the Week. Our hope is that this message would spark and sustain revival in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information about this podcast and other ways to connect with True Vine, visit us at blessphiladelphia.com. Amen. So we are in our series called Jesus Manifested. And today we will be in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. I want to quickly point out that in Matthew, Matthew aims to show his Jewish audience who Jesus is. Just like John aims to do that, just like Luke aims to do that, and Mark, it's all about Jesus, Jesus Christ being revealed. Uh, And we see that from the beginning of Matthew, Matthew tries, is, is attempting or is, I think, successfully uh, doing the work of grounding us in, in this understanding that Jesus comes from the Davidic line. So he does that with the genealogies. He does that in how he uh, re- re- writes again uh, or recounts the story of how the angels approached Mary. Um, all of it grounding the, the disciples and followers of Jesus' understanding in that he comes from the Davidic line. And so when we get to Matthew 16, we have seen, uh, we've seen uh, the story of Jesus unfold. We've seen him come into his public ministry. Uh, we've seen him uh, empower his disciples to go and do the things that he does uh, and walk in their authority to, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, to go and heal the sick, to raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, and uh, that's where we spent our time yesterday. And what we see here in Matthew 16 is we begin to see a shift. It's always been Jesus calling his disciples to equip them and to empower them. But what we start seeing in Matthew 16 is a shift towards I'm preparing you to, uh, I'm preparing you in such a way that you would be good and more than okay once I leave. So Matthew 16 is, is seen as this, this foundational and pivotal point in the narrative or in the, the gospel of Matthew. And it's the same in Luke, and it's the same in Mark. This is a pivotal point because Jesus' preparation of his disciples starts to take a shift. And you'll see it just, excuse me, I'm going through puberty again, I guess. Uh, uh, you'll see, you see it just after this, th- this passage that we'll read, Jesus begins to foretell his death to his disciples. So, anyways, um, we're going to read this scripture. First, I'm going to make sure that this doesn't keep shutting off on me. Should have done that before. Let's read together. Matthew 16, 13 through 20, and it says this. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to me, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. I want to begin with this statement as we now go into just bringing out some observations from this passage. I want to just bring out this statement that the right question helps you and me 
articulate what has been revealed to us and opens us up for more revelation. The right question helps you articulate what has been revealed to you and opens you up for more revelation. So Jesus begins this, the setting of this passage is in a, uh, a Gentile city. So he had been rejected in his hometown. He had been uh, moving along, doing ministry, and bringing the gospel to the lost sheep of Israel, which he says just before this to the, uh, in chapter 15 to the Canaanite woman who comes and asks for a, a miracle of deliverance. And he says to her, I didn't come to the Gentile. I came to the lost sheep of Israel. But what we're seeing here is we, we're seeing uh, a shift that he makes exceptions. That when there's exercising of faith, he moves in the direction of those who exercise their faith. And so she got what she asked for because of her incredible faith. So when we're seeing Jesus here in this city, Caesarea Philippi, this is a Gentile city. It was... Um, built in honor of Caesar Augustus, given to Herod, right? And Herod then hands it over to his son, Philip, and Herod the Great. And Herod hands it over to his son, Philip. Philip, um, when Herod is given this land, there is a shrine built to, to Caesar Augustus here. And so a shrine is a place where you go and you... Uh, do some worship of whoever it is that shrine is uh, presented to. And if you know uh, Roman culture, the, the Caesar is equal to God. Just like Pharaoh is equal to God in Egypt, in Rome, he is God. And whatever he says goes, right? So this is the backdrop of the place in which this great confession comes forth, okay? And so when, when we... That's the setting, and he begins to ask them the question that, that will help them articulate or help Peter articulate what has been revealed to him. First, he asks the question, uh, hey, what, what are the people concluding about me? What are they saying about me? Who do they say that I am? So all of us, at one point or another, we are information gatherers, and we gather information towards a conclusion. We do that every day. We do that when we're playing detective with our kids, right? Gather all this information to draw a conclusion. You did this, right? Or you didn't do that, whatever. How many of you love playing? I hate playing detective with my kids. I tell them, I don't really want to play detective. Just tell me the truth, right? Anyways, but we're always information gatherers to the point where we want to make a conclusion. And so Jesus is saying, what, what's the buzz? What is society saying about me? Uh, what are they concluding about me? And they begin to, to say different things. He, some of them said, um, in verse 14, it says, and they said, some say John the Baptist, which corresponds with Herod, the one who beheaded uh, John the Baptist. He heard about Jesus and his miracles, and he surmised, or he concluded, that, oh, this must be John the Baptist incarnate doing these miracles, right? So some people are saying that he's John the Baptist. Others say Elijah uh, because of what Malachi says that Elijah will come and he will turn the hearts of the people to their fathers, the hearts of the sons to their fathers and the father's hearts to their sons, right? So there is an expectation that this uh, Messiah would come as Elijah. So they're saying he's Elijah. Others say Jeremiah. Some think that that's because he, he wept <laughs> and he cried and he showed compassion for the people. And Jeremiah is known as the prophet who weeps, right? He wrote Lamentations. That's all about weeping, right? And then others just conclude that he's, or one of the prophets, one of the resurrected prophets once again. So there, this is the conclusion. The, the bottom line and the common denominator of all of these things is that he is a prophet, so they're not necessarily thinking Messiah, they're thinking prophet, right? And so then Jesus brings the question to them, which I think 
is not a question uh, to, to bolster up his, like, or to smell himself, right? Because I'm amazing. And just tell me who I am. Come on, everyone, tell me who I am. I don't think that's his motive. His motive is uh, to expose to them or to reveal to them what has already been revealed to them. So revelation comes up or articulation of the revelation comes with this question. And so he points it to them. Who do you say that I am? And of course, Simon Peter is known to be the loud mouth of the crowd. He opens his mouth and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So the, the conclusion of society is that he's just a prophet the conclusion of, G, of Peter and vicariously the disciples, vicariously through Peter, are declaring, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And if you look at the book of Matthew and all the gospels, you see that the disciples never proclaimed this themselves. They only speculate it. Maybe, perhaps, we have found the Messiah. Let's go and see. Let's go spend time with him. But like I said, Matthew wants, to, uh, wants to, to, to fix our feet on the idea or bring to the forefront the fact that he is of the Davidic line, that he is the Messiah. So you get testimony of Jesus being called the Christ. To be called the Christ is the, the Greek version of the Messiah. And both Christ and both Messiah mean anointed one. And anointing has to uh, automatically in this society, and, and we should think this way too, uh, when we think of anointing, we think of the offices that have, that receive the anointing, that have their initiation with anointing. And we know, as we studied this before, that Jesus is a prophet, Jesus is a priest, and Jesus is a king, and those three offices are Ones who are initiated or set apart with anointing. But because Matthew is grounding us or fixating our idea on who Jesus is as the one who is in the line of David, we should go back with all of the other disciples and think the anointed one means the king. The anointed one means the king. So they, 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 they fix those two ideas together. To say that you are the Messiah and to say that you are the, um, the Christ, it's to say that you are the anointed one, the king. And so that is the conclusion that they come to. This is what they have been brought to, but Jesus doesn't leave them there. Like I said, the right question at the right time reveals to you and to me what has been revealed to us. And so Jesus looks, uh, Jesus then says in verse 16, Simon Peter, or sorry, 17, uh, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So all all throughout this time, uh, in this moment, the answer to this question that Jesus brings forth had, does not have his origin in flesh and blood, meaning that you and uh, he, they didn't think this up through their own mind, through their own experience. This is something that God has revealed. God the Father has revealed to them. It is a result of revelation. No one comes to a right understanding of Jesus without the Father bringing revelation. Just like uh, John testifies, no one comes to the Son unless the Father draws him. We cannot have the right conclusion about Jesus unless God moves in us to open our eyes and uncover, because that's what revelation is, an uncovering, an unveiling. And so the, this confession that Peter brings forth, this thing that he, his reply to the question is a result of revelation. This is why I say the right question reveals to us that we have been recipients of revelation, right? So Jesus doesn't ask this question to his disciples to, to smell himself, but to show them you are understanding something deep because the Father has moved towards you in this way. He's given you understanding. 
And so, the conclusion of the disciples vicariously through Peter is that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the anointed one. And because he is the anointed one, we see that he is the fulfillment of the promises and the prophecy, the promise that God gave to David in 2 Samuel 7, verse 16, when he says, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And he is uh, pronounced in Luke chapter 1, verse 32 and 33, this anointed one. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And when Simeon received Jesus, it says in Luke chapter 2 that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the moment in which the salvation that comes from the Lord through the anointed one would be before his eyes. And it says, and it had been revealed to him, to Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, for my, he, says, he says and testifies, For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon understands that the anointed one is not just coming to bring salvation to Israel, but this salvation extends to the Gentile, which is so interesting that Jesus would ask this question where they are in a Gentile city. And so, like, I, I don't imagine that they're just isolated in one way. He's, he's talking as they're going, and there might be bystanders hearing this. Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the anointed one of God. And you are not just the anointed one of God, you are God. To be son is to, to be the same as God. So the anointed one and, and his deity is connected here for the very first time in this confession by the disciples. Matthew sets us up to, for this moment, this pivotal moment, this foundational moment, and then, then Jesus takes it further. Now, remember, the Christ, the Son of the living God, is, is, is understood because of the revelation that comes from the Father. Now, it's interesting what verse 18 says. So he says, first he says, um, it has not been revealed this, sorry, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and then he says, and I tell you, and it, that in, in the, the original language, it says, and I also tell you, meaning that he's adding revelation upon revelation. That not only is this, this a foundational thing for them to understand, but it sets them up and opens the door for them to receive another great revelation. And what is this great revelation that Jesus then brings to them? And I tell you, you are Peter. To say that you are Peter is to say you're a little rock. Where's the picture? You're a little rock. That's not a potato. It's a, it's a little rock, Right? I looked at it the other day, and I was like, oh, this looks like a potato. <laughs> you are a little potato Peter. <laughs> little rock. He says, you are Peter. So he goes on and, and, and expounds this revelation more, builds upon the revelation of the confession, and brings an application to it with a play on words. You are Petros, small rock. And then he says to Peter, on this rock, Petra, so he says, you are this little rock, and on this Petra, this connected foundation, uh, this connected mass of rock, show me the next one, there it is, so Petros, and on this rock, 
this foundational rock, he says, I will build my church. So the church of Jesus Christ is the church of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the foundation. So it is right for us as a church to say that all of our, all of our gospel presentation, all of our proclamation, all of our worship is going to go to Jesus Christ, our Savior, to Jesus Christ, our Sanctifier, to Jesus Christ, our Healer, to Jesus Christ, our Coming King. It's right for us to have this center, this, this fourfold gospel built into who we are as the identity of our church because the foundation of the church is Jesus, the anointed one, the savior, the king, the one who's coming to bring deliverance, the one who has come to bring our salvation, the one who has come to bring about sanctification in our lives. Give us that new heart. Give us that new spirit that we need so that we can be in right relationship with God. To give us the, 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 the victory over sickness and, and bring healing to us emotionally and physically and spiritually. And we are awaiting the coming king. It's right for us to have this foundation built into who we are. Why? Because this is the, the foundation of the church. And I intentionally put people on the rock so that you don't equate the church with a building because it's not. Because what Jesus says is so amazing when he talks to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. He says, the father is not looking for those who worship on a mountain or on the temple the Father is looking for those who worship in spirit and in truth. The church of Jesus Christ is not a building. The church of Jesus Christ is the people regenerated, filled, and, and moving in the power of Jesus Christ, in the power of the spirit of Jesus to, to affect this world. And this is why Jesus can say, I will build my church on this foundation and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We are not a church. We are not a building that guards ourselves from the outside world, we are a people who advances the kingdom in the hearts of men and women so that when, when we're out there, the gates of hell is not prevailing. If we're hiding behind four walls, the church is not prevailing. But when we are rubbing shoulders, speaking, uh, declaring, demonstrating, doing the things that Jesus did in our world, it is a demonstration and an assault to hell. That Jesus and his church is advancing. That the kingdom of Jesus is prevailing. And so when we have sermons about J Matthew chapter 10, right? When, when Jesus says, I'm giving you authority to go and cast out demons, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, to go and heal the sick, to go and raise the dead. This is not something that the world is, is no longer in need of. Because hell still exist and Satan still has hold on people's lives but when we go in the power and the authority of Jesus which I believe is directly related to the keys he says to them in verse 19 I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven when he says this to them he's saying the same thing he said I'm giving you authority and I'm giving you stewardship that's what he says to the church you and I, beginning with Peter and the disciples and every follower after that, we are given the keys of the kingdom of heaven, not to hide and lock ourselves behind, but to unlock the way into the kingdom for those who are lost. And so we go proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died for their sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again, and that he is going to return. We go proclaiming the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ, but we also go demonstrating the gospel of the kingdom of Christ. And so last week's sermon is just as important to understand what it looks like for us to have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. We unlock the way. We are stewards of the way for people to enter into heaven. 
And whatever we do and whatever we say and, and what power we're moving in either bars the way or opens the way. And we want to be ones who are used to be opening the way. Right? I had a discussion with our discipleship group this past week about this uh, concerning the sermon last week. Wherever the people of God go, you and I are tasked with removing obstacles. And if the obstacle is demonic, we remove that. If the obstacle is sickness, we remove that. If the, ob- if the obstacle is death, then we raise the dead. If it's uh, a disease that isolates people and moves people to the, uh, to the margins, then we deal with that. That is what Jesus told his disciples to do. And so, wherever we go, we bring the kingdom. And wherever you bring the kingdom, there's going to be a clash with the powers of darkness. There's going to be a clash with hell. And Jesus is saying the deck is stacked with you. That whenever there's a clash with hell, you're going to win. You prevail. The church prevails. The gates of hell cannot, cannot bear this kind of siege that we lay upon the kingdom of hell. Amen? So when Jesus asks this question, it's to reveal to them what has already been revealed to them by the Father. And them having the understanding that the Father is speaking to them, that the Father has revealed something to them that they hold and they can steward, he adds on to that this revelation, hey, your confession is what the church is built on. And, and the church that is built on this foundation prevails against hell. You're not a powerless church. You are a strong church. In fact, you are so strong, in comparison to hell, hell is weak in comparison to you. That is what Jesus is saying. We have that strength. I find it interesting in verse 20, that he strictly charges them. This is like, um, yo, guys, you are onto something. This is good. But I'm telling you, don't tell nobody. Shh. 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 Right? Just be quiet. Why? Why would he say this? Because the people already had a false perception of what the Messiah would be. They already, if you look at uh, like extra biblical uh, literature, n- n- namely the Psalms of Solomon, um, in chapter 17 of the Psalms of Solomon, gives us a uh, perspective on what they thought the Messiah would be. And it would be the very thing that they were anticipating was like, the Messiah is going to come, and he's going re- to destroy all of our enemies. He's going to cast out all the foreigners. He's going to move them out of the way and set up his kingdom, and we're going to crush the earth. That's their mentality. But Jesus had already taught his disciples in Matthew 5, the meek inherit the kingdom. Jesus already said, and he later on says to his disciples, hey, don't live by the sword, because you're going to die by the sword. This is not how he's advancing. And when, when Pilate asked him the question, hey, uh, are, you, are you really the king of the Jews? Because I have power to release you here. Jesus is like, my kingdom is not of this earth. You do what you got to do. And you're only doing it because the Father is allowing you to. So I'm doing this. This is how I'm advancing my kingdom. This is how the Messiah is bringing salvation. This is how the Messiah is bringing the consolation. Because it has to. It has to include all the peoples of the world. And sin is a universal thing. So if he's going to come and establish a throne in a physical earth and does not deal with the spiritual first, because that's how he got into this mess in the first place, then there, is, there isn't going to be salvation. There isn't going to be consolation. And the goal of the kingdom, the kingdom is destined, we've said it from the pulpit, the kingdom is destined to fill the earth. But it's not going to fill the earth through might and strength. It's going to fill the earth by, in, by infiltrating the hearts of people and, and bringing that transformation in your heart and aligning you into right worship with the king. And we welcome. 
That's, that's the, the welcoming of the kingdom. That's the advancing of the kingdom. And so for them to, to say this right thing, draw the conclusion about you are the Christ, the son of the living God, for them, for, for the surrounding people, it would mean something different. It would mean that they're going to call him into action. They're going to anoint him as their king. They're going to then say, all right, we'll rally the troops and we'll go and destroy Rome. Ready, go. That's not how Jesus wanted to do it. Because he, he, he had in mind to deal with the spiritual because the real issue with us is spiritual. And this is not a cop-out in any way. Because from the beginning of, the, of, of Genesis, we see already that our biggest struggle and our hardship, the biggest contention that we have is that we are separated from God. There's death of your spirit, death of your soul. And so that needs to be revived. And the kingdom of God is going to come. And it will come in a physical way because today we are waiting for the king to come. He sits on his throne and we're waiting for him to come and set things straight and to rule the earth. We want and we ask for and we say, come, Lord Jesus, come and bring your rule. Establish your rule. But until then, we give ourselves we give ourselves to the proclamation of the gospel. We give ourselves to the foundation that Jesus is our anointed one. Jesus is my king. Jesus is the son of the living God. And I'm going to go and proclaim that and assault the gates of hell with that. Not only am I going to proclaim that, I'm going to move in the power of the spirit to, to bring whatever obstacle is in people's ways out of the way so that they can see Jesus for his glory and his might and his goodness. That's the whole point of miracles. That's the whole point of signs and wonders. It's not so that we could be like, yeah, check that off, you know, like tally mark or get a badge. I cast out five demons, guys. No, the goal is for them to worship Jesus rightly, to see his, the glory of God in the face of Christ. Amen? And so... The right question reveals to us what the Father has revealed, and it opens us up for more revelation. And so when, <laughs> yeah. So when Paul writes for us to be enlightened in our hearts and that the spirit of revelation would be upon us, this is what he's asking, that you confess Christ and there's more deeper revelation for you and for me to understand. Not, not say like go and, go and figure out every conspiracy the Bible has, right? No, this is go and figure out how you can worship Jesus even better. <laughs> go and, and see how the word of God speaks of Jesus so that you can fall more in love with him and have more affection for him and more confidence in him. That's the point, amen? So leave the conspiracies aside, leave your merit badges aside, and be satisfied with beholding the glory of God and worshiping him rightly and deeply, amen? I wanna just share that there are practical ways in which we do this binding and loosing thing. The first way is, I believe, preaching the gospel and demonstrating the gospel, but there's other ways. There's always constant assault. Jesus says to us, the prince of this world now stands condemned. But he also says, in this world you will have trouble, but I'm leaving you my peace. Paul reminds us that, that we are all in this battle, this, this uh, retaliation, I would say, retaliation from the enemy uh, to, hinder, to hinder you from going deep and from worshiping Jesus rightly. And he lays assaults on your life and my life, on your family and my family, and we have the keys or the authority to bind and to loose in whatever realm of influence that we have. And what we're saying when we're saying, when, when we're binding, to bind is to say this is prohibited. To bind is to say this is unlawful. 
To loose is to say this is prohibited. To loose is to say this is lawful. So what Jesus is saying is that the power, the, the power to legislate is given to the church. And now we don't legislate for the land, right? We don't go and rewrite constitutions or laws of the land. Uh, we're not given to that kind of way because we believe that the law has to be writ- rewritten in your heart. That's what we believe. I don't know if you believe that, but that's what the Bible teaches. External law will never accomplish what a written law in the heart can do because that's where all evil comes from, right? So there could be empowerment and enforcement and laws written for for a community as a whole, but we really believe that there is no adherence to those laws wholeheartedly and purely without Jesus first doing the work in your heart and mind. So that's why you hear Christians say, we got to go after the heart, not legislating in the land. That's where we have to go, right? For some people, it might be a cliche, but that's really foundational for the, the, the kingdom of Jesus, right? That it begins in the heart and overflows into the land. And so uh, when we talk about binding and loosing, what we're saying is you have the authority to legislate over your home over those who the Lord has given you and say, say this is prohibited. This is Satan. And when we legislate, what, what, this is what I was going to say. When we legislate, what we're saying is we're setting boundaries for the, the spiritual realm. We're saying, Satan, you can't cross in this way. You, you can't come and affect us with depression any longer. You, you can't come and afflict us with anxiety any longer. We're saying no to that. We're laying the boundary out, and we're saying, Jesus, your peace is what is permitted. Satan, your anxiety and your fear, no longer permitted. We set these boundaries in our, in our homes. And so my wife and I have had conversations in which we discern something is happening in our home. Like there is an overwhelming feeling of depression or anxiety or worry or something is, something is wrong, something's off. And so Jesus gives us the authority to say this is what's prohibited and this is what is allowed. In the church, Jesus gives the elders that authority. And in our church, we say this is what is allowed, this is what is not allowed. Right? And so this year, what we're talking about is what we're feeling the Lord leading us to is towards strength and unity. Right? So what we're saying is, this year, and not just this year, Lord, forever, we want strength. We want fortitude. And so whatever is chipping away at the foundation, we want to remove that. And we lay a boundary. And we say, Satan, you cannot do that. Satan, you can't cause uh, unbelief to take root in the church so that our faith is not in the Christ, the son of the living God. You can't do that. But Jesus, come. Spirit of revelation, come. Spirit without measure, boom, come. Faith without measure, come. Right? This is what is allowed in our church. And when we're saying this unity, or sorry, not this unity, unity, what we're saying is we lay the boundary. Is that anything that chips away at our unity because our unity is important for the kingdom of heaven to be advanced. Did you know that? That's why Jesus prays in John 17, give them the glory, I've given them the glory that they would be one. So the spirit of God is given to you and to me for our unity, for our oneness. And our oneness, our unity, uh, allows the world to look and behold that and say, wow, the Lord is among them. God is with them, I want to be a part of that. uh, we've done that, and in the past, uh, Truvine has legislated in the land of Wissanomi and Tacony when racist rallies happen at library steps. Because we know that trauma, we believe that trauma, and this is probably going deeper, and you could talk to Pastor Jim about this. He's always setting me up, so I'm setting him up today, right? Um, trauma and uh, and wicked things like that draw are like poop and flies, right? 
Whenever you see, there's poop, there's flies flying all around it. That's what we, flies will be demonic, and the poop is the mess. <laughs> wherever, there's, uh, wherever there's wickedness or evil and righteousness, we can be sure that there are spirits hovering over that like nothing. And they are partaking of that and participating in it and uh, pushing it forward, right? So when we go and we pray against that, when we go where blood has been spilt innocently, what we're saying is this demonic stronghold cannot take hold of our community. We are binding and we are loosing. This is the authority we have. Don't get it twisted. We're not changing laws of the land, although laws of the land are important. We are legislating in the spirit so that the kingdom of darkness doesn't take root and goes forth, but rather the kingdom of light goes. And wherever we go and wherever we set these boundaries, we can be sure that there will be agreement from heaven. Jesus says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. There's agreement, and I would say even enforcement from heaven based upon that. Now, granted, we're not sending, I told my discipleship group this week, we're not sending you out to go demon hunting, right? Because the truth is wherever you go in the power of Jesus Christ, whatever is demonic is going to reveal itself. And you don't have to be afraid. You are stronger than that. Jesus said it this way, or John said it this way. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. You have not just this community of strength. You have strength within, right? This, this, uh, this strong, the strength within that is a threat to the kingdom of darkness. And so, with that said, uh, I just want to move us now into... Uh, I want to give it over to Pastor Jim. He's going to knock it out of the park for the glory of Jesus. Well, let's thank Pastor John Eric for setting that up. Okay, so I want to respond to that sermon based on the passage that he preached in Matthew 16. Before we get to anything else, we have to agree with Peter and the disciples about who Jesus was and is. So, okay, I'm going to coach you through this because I want to make sure we get this right. Uh, Jesus asked them, who do people say that I am? And they were like, well, some people think you're John the Baptist. Some people think you're Elijah, Jeremiah, or a prophet or something like that. Do you remember what? Jesus asked, well, who do you think I am? Do you remember what Peter said? The Christ, the son of the living God. So you're the Messiah and you're the son of God. We have to get ourselves to where Peter was. Know what I mean? Um, so give me a little feedback. Who does the world think Jesus was? A prophet, right? A moral man. I heard something else. A teacher. Some people say like a teacher. Okay. Who does the church say Jesus is? The creator. The creator. Another C-R word. There's C-H-R. The Christ. Right? Like we believe Jesus is God. Not, not a good guy, but the Christ. So we want to start with that affirmation. If you, if you can't get there, you're not going to get anywhere else with this. You're not going to get to binding and loosing. You're not going to get to the kingdom of darkness being on the retreat. So we want to start with Jesus is the Christ. Now he continues. Uh, I say this to you, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not overpower it. I think in the battle between heaven and hell, we would all say we're team heaven, right? Okay, are you team heaven? Okay, good. I mean, that's, if you're going to say something else, go outside, because I don't want to be around when the lightning strikes. Okay, we all agree we're on team heaven. This is what I found. A lot of people on team heaven think that team heaven only plays defense, and we're never on offense. Team heaven always has the ball, guys. 
We are the ones that are supposed to be advancing the kingdom. And the, one of the reasons we don't see as frequently the stuff that's in the Gospels, the, the miracles, the healings, the deliverance, the mass conversions, is because we always think they're supposed to come to us and we will, you know, like we're on defense all the time. We have to think the way they thought if we're going to do the stuff they did. And the way they thought was the kingdom of heaven is advancing, not retreating. So I want to pray for us real quick, and I'm not done yet, but I just want to pray for us so that we would have that mindset of the kingdom of heaven is expanding, not uh, restricting. So Lord, you said in so many of the parables, when you compare the kingdom of heaven to a mustard seed, it expands and grows. You compare the kingdom of heaven to yeast or leaven in bread dough, it grows, it expands, it advances. So Jesus, I pray that we would have the mindset that we are on offense, not defense, that we are not retreating. So we think about it, Lord, we repent of thinking that we're always on defense and we take up this mindset that we are the ones on offense and I pray that in your name. And finally, how do we go on offense? We're given keys, right? Uh, I think when we're, here's how you know that you're on, you're on defense all the time. If you think that your job is to lock the door so the kingdom of darkness can't get in instead of you have keys to go unlock doors, you're going in with keys, right? We use our keys through binding and loosing, and John Eric gave a great explanation of that, so I'm not really going to build any further on that because his, his explanation was great. But we want to apply. I want to apply it right now. We determine, based on what's happening in heaven, that's our guide. You know, we bind based on what's happened in heaven. We loose based on what's happened in heaven. We permit or prohibit on earth. We do this in our families. We do this in our personal lives. So, for instance, uh, in the Rudd household, we prohibit certain things, but we also permit certain things. You want to do this in your household, you want to do this in your personal life. Then we want to do it in our community. We want to, anywhere you are given authority, okay, you can bind and loose. We do this through prayer. We don't do this through swords and guns. We do it through prayer and declarations. That's like, these are the weapons God has given us. So I want you to take a moment. Some of you are here with your spouses. Some of you are here by yourself. I want you to, though, take a moment silently, or if you're here with your spouse, you can pray together, and just determine what might we need to bind, what might we need to loose, or what might we need to prohibit, what might we need to permit in our household. And if, you, if you're single, you can do this. If you're a part of a married couple, you can do this as well. But just take a moment to privately pray that, and then take this home and expand on that, build on that. So I'm going to give you a moment to do that. And then this is how we would do this as a team of elders for our church. If this year we're focusing on strength and unity, we would say, in the name of Jesus, we bind or prohibit division. We bind or prohibit 
hierarchies that put some people above other people. We bind or prohibit gossip, slander, selfishness. We bind those things in Jesus' name, and we loose or permit uh, love. We loose or permit forgiveness. We loose or permit honor. You know, like we 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 want to bless those things and see those things move. When we're binding and loosing, we're not just you know throwing some words out there into the air for you to hear. We're actually telling the spiritual world how to order itself. So I want to pray for us one final time and then dismiss you. But I want you to take this binding and loosing thing home. This is how we see the kingdom of heaven come to earth. It's, it's not just like voting every four years. It's, it's what's, what do we do in between with the binding and the loosing? So Jesus, you have given us the Holy Spirit without measure. And so we loose the Holy Spirit. We, we, we are dependent on the Holy Spirit. And... Lord, we permit the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We loose and permit those things in our congregation, Jesus. Those are the things we want to see. Lord, we bind the works of the flesh, selfishness, sexual immorality, greed, gossip, slander, Division, we bind and prohibit those things in our family of faith, Jesus. I ask, Lord, that you would strengthen us, that there would not be weakness or shallowness or selfishness among us, Lord, but that you would strengthen us and make us more like Jesus. And I pray that you would unite us around you, Jesus, that we would all be facing you not facing each other or even looking at ourselves, but facing you and centered around you. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to thank you for joining us today. Feel free to stick around, say hello to a few people before you head home. Otherwise, have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to True Vine's Sermon of the Week. This podcast and an archive of previous episodes can be found at blessphiladelphia.com.